the ability to create visualizations and spatial queries makes GIS a powerful tool for students, both in solving problems and engaging their minds. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Pass 4 Plebs. As always, I'm your host, Sean. If you're new to this podcast, welcome aboard. This is a casual place where I really just talk about history and kind of nerd out about my passion for learning about the past. So, yeah, wherever you're wherever you're listening from, if you're driving in your car, maybe you're making dinner, maybe you're at the gym, good for you if you are, or like a nice relaxing walk outside. I just welcome you aboard and I really wish you the best in our adventure through time. So, this episode is a little bit unique. But I wanted to talk about geography and how I kind of use geography in my history class to help teach history to students. Um, I mean, obviously, as you can probably think, geography is pretty important. And it's been well known for a really long time that like geography plays a pretty key role in teaching history, right? Um, If you think about it, history is kind of like the action of the past, right? It's all the stuff that happened and the storytelling of the past. And geography is really the earth. That's the stage. That's where where the action happens. It happens on the earth. Um, except for, I guess, the moon landing. That would happen on the moon. So I guess that would disqualify that one event. And I guess all the other space stuff. But I guess the earth is still cent- central in all that, right? They came, the astronauts had to go there from earth. So in that sense, we're talking about earth. So that's, that's important. Um, either way, I'm kind of you know, splitting hairs here, you might imagine, right? So if you're thinking about history or historical time period, a lot of times, if you just picture things in your mind, you might see art from the era, maybe images, pictures, if it's, you know, after the camera, maybe a famous book or someone's face. But a lot of people oftentimes think of an actual map of the area. So maps really do help us get a picture of the time and place that we are studying. So there's a lot of different kinds of maps, and I can tell you that all maps are not created equal. I want you to think back to when you were in school, and depending on your age, you might be thinking about a different time period. But anyway, I want you to picture the classroom, right? Your teacher probably had one of those old pull-down maps, right? Those ones where you pull them down, and there's like different layers, And they show maybe different parts of the world and different time periods. There's probably a political map, right, with the borders and, like, the governments and maybe, like, the states, right, all colored different colors. And then maybe there was another one that was a topographical map, which would be, like, a satellite view with landforms. Maybe it showed the mountains and things like that. So these in our modern day, right, in in our study case, these would be considered traditional style maps. They're not very interactive, you know, they're just, they're just what, that's what you get. Now in my classroom, I really try and take it to the next level. And one of the things that I try and use are called interactive maps, which allow the students to change what they see or combine those different layers, those different types of maps together so that they can get a really unique perspective on the past. Now, later on in the podcast, I'm going to go more into detail, but for this episode, I have a really special treat. Maybe it's a treat if you're extremely into this kind of thing. If not, it might go right over your head, 
But nonetheless, I dug up the old digital recording that I made for my research paper when I got my master's degree in education a few years back. The focus of the study that I did was on the impact of interactive maps in the classroom. I know, very exciting. Um, and so what I wanted to do is I want to play that for you now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just put it on. And it's, we're basically gonna, just going to talk about the study. We're going to talk about interactive maps, what I did. Um, basically, from start to finish, this took about a month or two to basically play out. I had to create the assignments. I used interactive maps for these assignments. Um, and so the assignments were based around the Electoral College. Super exciting, I know, woo, politics. But anyway, the point is, is that the kids were able to use this really cool software so they were able to see electoral maps on you know, demographics, the population, and how those people voted in different elections. And then what I was trying to get them to do was I wanted to see if that was gonna change um, how they thought about history and politics, but also maybe the, the questions that they started to ask about those things. So long story short, that's what I did for my master's degree. Um, so here is the audio for that. Um, I hope you enjoy it and stay tuned to the end. I'll have another little uh, message for you. Hey everybody, my name is Sean Batchelder and today we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics and that is using geography to better teach history and social studies. Now, we've been over this before. It's, it's one thing to be good at history. It's another thing to be good at teaching it. Uh, and that could be a whole podcast in itself. And I'm sure one day we will get to that. But today, what I want to talk about is the theory and the practice behind using geography to better inform students about social studies. And not just regular geography. We're going to get into something called GIS. Uh, GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems. But then we're also going to talk about a little experiment that I conducted, uh, a research experiment on a classroom, in order to try and see if there was any difference in the quality of the map that's being used to teach history and political science, and that whole, you know, the whole umbrella term that is known as social studies. But in the meantime, without further ado, let's jump into this conversation about how GIS can impact social studies. So let's just start by laying out what I did for my experiment. I wanted to do a comparative study, meaning I wanted to compare sort of two different uh, types of maps and see if there was a difference between the quality of social studies instruction that came out of it. So the first one was without the maps. I'm comparing the results from, okay, there's no map here. It's just an article. It's a written piece. Let's see how students do with that. Then the second one was, okay, here's a traditional map. Let's see how students do with traditional maps. And then I'm comparing it exactly the same. Now, okay, here's an interactive map. Let's see how students do with the interactive map. That way my results are lined up. They're the same. And then I can compare and contrast how they did amongst those three interventions. Okay? So that's really the, the, the setup of my, of my study. So we're dealing with maps. We're, we're working with maps. The question becomes, how do you know if a map is really interactive, right? So for example, I could take a paper map, take a picture of it, right? I could get my smartphone, take a map, picture it, put it up on the computer, boom. Is that an interactive map? Because it's on the computer and it's a map. Well, not necessarily. And this is where we have to kind of define our terms, right? So I say 
traditional map when we're talking about an old-fashioned static paper map that you can't really move okay um, an interactive map takes that to the next step and these are the qualities so I, I, I didn't make these qualities up I looked at previous studies that have already been done and I kind of created a list of things that are kind of required for a map to be considered interactive so they have to be able to scroll you can scroll on the map you can zoom in and out you can turn on and off layers of the map um, you can highlight you can you can turn on and off the base maps so you can adjust those and it has to have integrated data into it now here's the thing all of these things you can do with other maps right um, I think maybe just a couple you can't do so for example base map adjustment um, now if you had two or three maps together then you kinda have that but what what GIS does what interactive maps do is they take those three different maps and they put them in one map that you can then turn on and off so you could say oh you know what I want to turn off the population and just look at the topography that's possible in an interactive map and so that's how I decided what was going to be exactly interactive now specifically there's there's a lot of different programs out there I personally use two I used um, Esri Esri's ArcGIS um, it's a little bit high speed it's a little it's it's really more for data analysis um, so if you're just doing history if you're kinda of looking at historical maps you don't need something that powerful um, but it certainly can be used um, what I used for the class was that and I also used a product called Tableau Tableau is um, is very similar it's a little more basic and I know actually a lot of friends of mine use Tableau for uh, data analysis uh, it's sort of sort of presentations that they have for certain companies that they work for so this is real deal stuff uh, I mean this is this is like professional level professional grade uh, cartography tools so it's it's just really great to, to get it in the classroom and to get students working with it because I think that it's the future of you know geography so if I if I had to encapsulate the first what, what are we five minutes into the podcast the first five minutes of the podcast is summarizing basically my thesis statement right my research question and the research question is Will GIS and interactive map instruction in a social studies classroom improve the quality of student inquiry and question formulation? And so that's what I want to talk about next is that second half, right? Student inquiry and question formulation. So, Sean, why did you choose that as your way to measure student success? And the reason I chose that is because it is sort of a paramount thing in social studies instruction at least nowadays the ability to ask questions in social studies is kinda it is it's the way that uh, historians have done history for probably the last hundred years maybe a little less but for I I would say some of the first time ever it's now reaching down to the to the to the public school level it used to just be a historian thing right you get to college and they tell you hey by the way everything that you've done up to this point regarding history toss it out because we're gonna start and actually do real history now well that's not the case anymore what we do now in the public school system is we actually introduce question making and the ability to uh, create questions around history and social studies so that you can perform your own research and you can go in and sort of do do the things that real historians do so nonetheless long story short 
that's what I chose to use as my point of measurement for this study. So the students are asking questions, and what I asked from the students was, ask me two open questions and two closed questions from each intervention. So what is an open question? What's a closed question? Well, an open question is exactly that, right? It's open. It's open to investigation, it's open to interpretation, and it's open to the answer that it gets. So it's any question that is more open-ended. It's going to require research, it's going to require thought, and it's going to require a long answer. A closed question is, of course, the exact opposite of that. A closed question is what I like to call a searchable Google question, right? If you could pull out your smartphone and you can Google my question and get a one-word answer or a one simple fact answer, that's a closed question. So for example, when was the Declaration of Independence signed? That's a closed question because you're going to get, boom, 1776 if you throw that in Google. You can do it right now if, you, if you're not driving, of course. So that's a closed question. But because I'm asking them to create open and closed questions, it's not a matter of how many open and closed questions are being asked because I'm literally telling them to ask me two of each. What, I'm, what I want to see is, okay, which, which questions, which open questions are good, which open questions are a little bit, you know, weaker. So what I did is I broke them down into both low level and high level in that same category. So low level closed questions, high level closed questions versus low level open questions and high level open questions. And this way I can compare, I can sort of categorize the questions that I'm getting and see, all right, you know, which ones are stronger, which ones are not so strong. Now, the first thing you should be thinking, and I was thinking this too, and I think that this is, this is one of the strongest limitations of the study is that seems a little bit subjective, right? I mean, you could look at the two questions on day one and say, all right, so question A is is low level and question you know, B is high level, and then look at it the next day and just because you're in a different mood, it might be the other way around. So I needed to figure out you know, a, a, a specific type, uh, a specific quality of a high level question versus a low level question. And, uh, and, and some, of the, some of the qualities I came up with were, for example, is it on topic, right? Um, are they just asking you know, a question to ask a question, or are they actually using the content? Um, especially, so take the article, for example, right, when, on, on intervention one. Um, if they're asking a question and there's no, nothing in the article about the question, uh, and, it's, and it's just out of left field, then that's a low-level question, right? They're, they're just kind of doing the work to do the work, and they're not really engaged. I'm not going to count that as a high-level question. But if it's a deeper question, it maybe wants to go further and beyond what's in there. So there's a big difference between asking a question that's not there because you're going beyond what's there and asking a question that's not there because you're just not paying attention. So I had to, I had to make that differentiation there. Um, but this, is, this was probably the most time-consuming part of the study, was just going through the questions. I mean, I had upwards of 70 questions per intervention that I had to kind of dissect and compare and contrast and quantify. Um, but at, at the end of the day, it was, a, it was a really good way for me to be able to measure how the questions were doing, whether they were stronger or not from intervention to intervention. So let's just rush right out to the conclusion, right? So I implemented the study, I collected my data, I was looking through it, I measured it, all this stuff. So does it work? Do interactive maps actually make students digest history better and ask better questions? 
The difficult part is I would have to say that it's not conclusive. There were enough complications with the data and there were enough limitations in the study to say that uh, I don't I, I can't say for sure whether or not it does um, absolutely impact student generated inquiry. However, something that I can say is twofold. One, students definitely enjoyed the interactive map way better than the old-fashioned just paper map. Absolutely 100%. And then not only did they enjoy that, but they certainly enjoyed maps in general over just reading an article. So there's definitely something going on there, right? I think that I think that students like to interact with things. And so even a paper map, even a traditional map is in their eyes more useful to them than reading through an article. Uh, and, th and that could be a whole other discussion. Um, but it, what was very interesting to me, and I did conduct a survey from students to see preference, to see things like that, and those were some questions that were on there. Students overwhelmingly, they loved the interactive map. They said it was fun. They said that they enjoyed it. They said that they actually felt like they were learning more from it than from, uh, than from the other one. And that alone is something that we cannot under underestimate, especially when it comes to teaching. All right, so that's the one point. The other thing that I noticed too, and this is very overwhelming, was the questions that were asked, while they weren't necessarily better or worse than before, is the types of questions that were asked were very different. The types of questions when given the interactive map where they could play with it and they could really customize what they were looking at, turn things on and off, it gave them a greater understanding of the content that we were looking at. And what I mean by that is students were more willing to be critical of a system. So in, in our case, we looked at the Electoral College over, over the course of all three interventions, right? You had the article on it, you had the paper maps on it, and then you had the interactive maps on it. Students were more likely to be super critical and, and, and challenge the way, some, the way the Electoral College worked when they use the interactive map because they were able to go deeper they were able to look at different counties in states i mean we looked at connecticut specifically but they were they had the freedom to go to texas to go all over the country and look at all these different counties and how they how they voted versus the electoral votes of that state where they were allocated one question really blew me away it was what other ways of electing or or voting came about from the founding fathers was there an open discussion about this this we never we never talked about this but the fact that the students alone were looking at possibilities in history that's what we want that's what we want from inquiry and i would say that's a great example of a of a high level question right there right being able to to ask that type of question so certainly the interactive maps gave students more confidence to ask questions one limitation that I found from the survey that I gave at the end, so I, I mentioned before, I gave a survey for students to kind of express how they, how they felt about the maps, which maps they liked the best, you know, a bunch of questions. One of the, one of the things that was, that was a pattern, a reoccurring answer uh, to one of the questions was um, students felt that the technology was a little too advanced for them uh, to just pick up and run with. So we did have, so as a part of this kind of intervention, we did kind of have a day of, hey, you know, here's this product, it's GIS, play with it. Uh, I gave some instruction, you know, I gave them a little task to kind of, okay, try and look at the satellite image, play with, the, play with it, so that they could get 
you know, used to using it before I gave them the actual assignment the next day. Um, but it was pretty evident, I think, from the responses that not everyone got picked up on the maps as quickly as some other students did. So I think that in the future, if this is done, you know, if you're if you're planning on doing GIS in your classroom, um, I would give it a couple days, you know, do a week on it, do, do a GIS week where you just walk through the steps, show students really how to use the maps. Um, I know for myself, I was running around the room helping students out. Um, I know I, there were so many hands raised. Hey, you know, Mr. B, how do I move? How do I move this uh, this map? How do I how do I turn off this field? And so I did have to kind of instruct some students. And I think that ultimately that might be one of the biggest barriers to GIS is just getting used to the technology. I mean, let's be, let's face it. There, most adults have trouble, you know, using new technology. If if a if a product is not easy to use, adults usually just don't buy it or they you know they scoff at it. So I can't really blame the kids. You know, it, it was actually a shortcoming of mine for not giving them enough instruction uh, to 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 be able to keep up uh, with what I was asking them to do. So definitely, you know, keep that in mind if you're going to use GIS in your classroom. Make sure you help students out. Thank you so much for joining us on this unique episode of the Pass for Plebs. If you're interested in reading about my research, I've included a link to the research paper I wrote in the description below. I would love to continue this conversation on using maps in this social studies classroom. Maybe we can even start to network on ways we could expand this endeavor. So if you want, you can feel free to reach out to me. I will definitely respond and we could spark up a conversation. There's a lot of really great programs out there that I think you know, we just really need to get access to and spread the good word. Now, next week is going to be our first actual history episode since being back on the air. You know, I started to realize that these first few episodes are more about me and less about history. We talk about the behind the scenes of history, which is great, but I want to really get started and actual di actually dive into some historical topics. So next week, we're going to do that. Now, don't forget to like and subscribe for future podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Sean, and remember, it's okay to be stuck in the past.